Welcome back, everybody. This is Eric and Chad here with Iraq Veteran 8888. Today, we've got another gun gripe episode for you. This is a good one. I think you guys are going to love it. It's called Gun Detectives. All right. This is a great topic, and you guys are absolutely going to take something away from this video. I promise. Okay. I do want to take a moment to thank our friends at SDI. Uh, they have got some great gunsmithing programs. Check them out if you're uh, looking into higher education in the way of firearms technology. And it actually kind of goes right into what we're doing in this particular video today anyway. But they've got wonderful programs, really good people, uh, a great way to kind of put you on the right path for uh, going into a career uh, related to what we're going to talk about. Exactly. All I right. Can't think so of a better video. Yeah, there's no better video. So gun detectives, yep. and we we kind of came up with this this term the other day uh, because things happen mm. when you're shooting guns. It's never a perfect storm, right? You know, a a gun is a mechanical object, and of course, you know, uh, you've got all of these things that have to happen in a very precise way, and it is dependent on. A magazine in a lot of cases, and especially with a semi-automatic, is dependent on a magazine, and you've got to have ammunition that is to a, a proper spec, and it works correctly, and you've got to hold it correctly. I mean, there's all these things that come into play. So when your firearm is malfunctioning, or let's say you've had some sort of an issue or a failure, you've got to be able to figure out, okay, where in the heck is this problem coming from? And that's where the gun detective thing kind of comes into play. And look at it in the way that you look at vehicles and cars, right? If your vehicle's making a weird noise, what do you do? You take it to the car detective. Some people keep driving it. Who is some people keep driving it. <laughs> but you take it to the to the car detective <laughs> to snoop around and figure out what's going on with yeah. your vehicle, right? We call them mechanics and they that's what they do. Well, mm -hmm. a gunsmith is a gun mechanic, right? So being able to assess a problem and figure it out on your own is a super important thing to do, and it makes you a bit of a gun detective. So let's go into that a little bit. I mean, what, what are some instances? I mean, it could it could be touted as just being self-reliant as a firearms owner, you know, not having to go to a gunsmith for every little thing. Um, we've talked to Ray and we've talked to other gunsmiths like Mark Novak on a, uh, on a number of occasions about this topic, you know, more or less, but it's just amazing to me some of the problems that people will bring to a gunsmith. It's like very simple things that like we look at like, dude, I could have done that like on the counter in five minutes. You know, but some people just don't know. They're kind of ignorant to the inner workings of firearms. They're they're ignorant to problem solving, perhaps. Maybe they just can't solve problems. And if they own firearms, then it's like something goes down, then whatever. Uh, just like one example I could think of is uh, recently we were out at the range, uh, John and I, and we were doing some work, uh, I think, with maybe a, I think we were metering some suppressors, and I was using the uh, LR-308. And uh, I had previously, I'd pulled the bolt apart, and I just, you know, clean it up a little bit and put it back together out there on the on the bench. Um, and uh, the cotter pin that holds the firing pin in place, okay, it had fallen out. And I went to fire, you know, around. First round went off fine. But then the firing pin got lodged in there and it locked the bolt, okay, uh, the carry and everything back about that far. It didn't eject the round and everything, but it locked the, the bolt carry just far enough back to where you could not get the upper and lower halves apart. So we actually wind up having to pull the castle nut off the rear, pull the you know receiver extension off, and then drop the bolt carrier and stuff and finagle it out of the back. So, but it was like, what the heck just happened? And you know, 
pulling it apart and figuring out what happened. It was like the, the firing pin was literally like locked in there. It was just the craziest thing. Like we've seen some of the dumbest things happen with like ARs, especially when it comes to, uh, it comes to that platform. Uh, but it's like Eric mentioned, it's a semi-automatic platform. There's more moving parts. So there's more things that can go wrong, but being able to diagnose stuff on the range while you're there is very important to people like us because I mean, we have to, you know, go out and film multiple things. And it's like, if you get, uh, if you have one minor problem, you got to be able to try to fix it right there unless it's something seriously catastrophic. Um, but that's just one example I can think of off the top of my head. Uh, I could probably, we can come up with more as we go along because we always fly by the seat of our pants when we're doing these videos. But, yeah, you know, it, it really is like being self-reliant as a gun owner is knowing uh, the inner workings of your firearms that you own, uh, common problems, how to diagnose them, and, and just kind of go down the process of elimination. Okay, well, it's not this, it's not that, it's not this. Oh, here it is. Here, I found the problem. Now this is how I correct it. And if a part's yeah. not broken, right. you know, and you don't have that part with you, then, I mean, that's the only extenuating circumstance where you'd have to, you know, just put it to the side and have to go on a bin until you can fix it or take it somewhere where you can actually have a gunsmith look at it. Well, the case there's also sort of a, you know, hey, don't jump to conclusions aspect of this. Yes. Uh, now, I'll, I'll kind of talk about that, all right? So we were doing a video on an M1 carbine paratrooper. Uh, it was an auto ordnance uh, paratrooper model. Mm -hmm. And I probably had about 300 rounds through it before we uh, went out to do the video on it. Okay. Took it out. Uh, video went great. Um, gun started to get a little bit hot. Mm -hmm. And and with one type of ammo we were shooting, we just happened to switch to another magazine with a different type of ammunition. We started having the bolt not want to go all the way in the battery. And then we were getting some weird extraction issues. So it's like one could easily, easily say... Oh, well, the ammo is the culprit because the other ammo didn't do it and this ammo did. So that must tell you that this ammunition is crappy ammo or something. And we almost in the video sort of dismissed that ammo as, oh, well, maybe that brand of ammo just doesn't work well on this particular gun. Actually did not end up being the case at all. We uh, ran a brush through it. Uh, we paused for a second, ran a brush through it. Again, being a detective and trying to figure out, okay, why is this? What made me think to do that also was the fact that that sometimes that bolt would not want to go all the way in the battery and you'd have to kind of push the charging handle forward to get the bolt to lock all the way, mm -hmm. uh, which, just so you know, on a Garand and an M1 and the M14, that's sort of your forward assist. It's mm -hmm. just smack the uh, the op charging rod. handle forward, yeah. the op rod forward, uh, and it will force that bolt closed. And I did that a couple of times and I thought, well, let's, let's swab it. Mm -hmm. So sure enough, we ran a brush through it. What came out of the chamber in? Some little rings of copper. So it was copper fouling that it actually worked its way up into the lead and into the front end of the chamber and was causing not only extraction issues, because as that case expands into that copper ring, it's meeting resistance that's not supposed to be meeting. And that could cause the extractor to overcome the rim and leave the cartridge in the chamber and not extract. That's one thing. Yep. But then two, all right. That would explain why the bolt would not go all, all the way in the battery, because that little ring of copper was preventing the cartridge from seating all the way into battery. Mm -hmm. We cleaned it, swabbed it out, uh, checked it again, went to shoot the whole mag, no, not a single problem. So it wasn't the ammunition. One could mm -hmm. easily say it was the ammunition, but it wasn't necessarily an ammo-related problem as much as it was that ring of copper that got into the lead from just a lot of shooting and not well, being cleaned and maintained. All right, so... Something about the ammunition. Right? Uh, 300 rounds, 300, 400, maybe 500 rounds. You really shouldn't get any sort of rain developing in there with just that little bit of fouling or that little bit of shooting. I mean, usually that kind of fouling happens over maybe a thousand rounds or so, you know, in something like M1 carbine because that's a pretty, it's a fairly low powered cartridge in, in the rifle world. Um, 
but sometimes the the ammunition could possibly be a culprit but you'd have to dig more into the ammunition and like test the hardness of the copper jacket and such. Yep. I mean, so the copper or might maybe not be... pull the projectiles, make sure not not yeah. undersized or yeah. something. I mean, and getting they, gas cutting. Yeah. Or they could have been maybe crimped a little bit too much, and and maybe that crimping went through the copper jacket or the copper plating. Copper plated uh, plated bullets uh, are notorious if you if you shoot them at real high velocities uh, to leave more of like a, a fouling ring in your barrels. And that, that makes me think about the carbon ring that can develop in precision rifles. Okay. You have like something like a 6.5 Creedmoor or six millimeter Creedmoor. Okay. Where these precision rifles, the barrel life isn't really all that great to begin with. I mean, you're talking like a thousand, two thousand rounds in some barrels. Okay. Depending on the cartridge. And after a few hundred rounds, you can certainly get a carbon ring developing and your accuracy starts going to pot and you start having extraction problems, feeding issues and such. But. People who are new to precision rifles, if they buy, like, say they go out and buy a Bagara, okay, like an HMR or something like that, you know, a budget rifle, and it's 6.5 Creedmoor, and they go out and they shoot five or 600 rounds, and then they start seeing these weird accuracy anomalies, and they, they've cleaned their gun, but they haven't really focused on that carbon ring, nor do they even maybe not know about it, okay? Right. So a carbon ring could be detrimental. It's like, man, this rifle sucks because, I mean, I only shot 600 rounds out of it, and now look, it's shooting like crap. I mean, I had that problem with my 700, but it was... So, we've told the story before, okay? Um, but I bought a factory 700, okay? It was AACSD model. It was an inexpensive gun. I was going to do a whole series on upgrading it and such, but that got cut short because we come to find out that it started having accuracy anomalies, and what had happened was the, the barrel and the receiver had started kind of torquing away from each other a little bit uh, after you know I shot it a bit and it was only contacting on one the, the bolt lugs were only contacting on one lug okay so when you lock the bolts into place I was only getting one one lug contacting the receiver okay and it was just like dude so that that offset it just would cause the round to do all kinds of weird things and it was not consistent a bolt action is supposed to be super consistent all the parts are supposed to be nice and concentric blueprinted together you get full contact on the lugs so we went down the rabbit hole and I, th- the only thing left on that gun is the receiver everything else has been modified not to mention it's such. not safe you no, know you don't want a bolt gun to have only one lug contact and that's not safe that's completely outside of the parameters yep. of the way a bolt gun is supposed to operate but, in terms um, of safety. But this was after, you know, about 700 rounds or so. I really started seeing these weird anomalies. So I started like, okay, let me clean the barrel. Let me see if I can, I can find a carbon ring in there. Maybe something's going on. Maybe it's my ammunition. I tried some factory ammo. Same thing. Weird anomalies. Bedding was okay. You know, and then come to find out that was what the issue was, was it was a concentricity issue with the way that that receiver was blueprinted from the factory. I should say lack of blueprinting from the factory and the barrel mating up to it. Um, but those are the things that you, you find out the more you're in, you know, interested in firearms, the more you dive deep into them, you start seeing all these little problems. That's why gunsmiths, I mean, we could do another video on like why gunsmiths are so expensive. That's why gunsmiths charge what they do because they have this, okay? Their their brain, okay? It's full of useful information. It's full of years of experience diving into firearms. And and like Ray, Ray has this photographic memory and it's amazing, but he can look at at a firearm. He can look at all the pieces on the table. He knows exactly how they go together. He knows exactly how they work. He knows exactly what might be the culprit. And just by thinking about it, he'll sit there and think about it for a second. And it's incredible. You know, Martin Novak's the same way. Okay. Yeah. Oh yeah. But 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 they they just they have a way of they they have a, a way of their like thought process that allows them to do this. They Very can just methodical. visualize it and then just boom, done.
you know, that's why they charge. You know, and and look, to be fair, and this is this is a great way to look at it too. To be fair, not every single situation is going to be um, simple. Uh, or hard, right? Yeah. I mean, uh, so when you get into something, I mean, like if I'm driving down the road and I get a flat tire, well, it don't take a rocket scientist to figure out I got a flat tire, okay? And a lot of people, not all, but most people are generally capable of changing a tire on the side of the road if they have to. Uh, and we consider that to be kind of a basic skill that mm -hmm. people need to have, right? You know, use uh, uh, deploying a set of jumper cables to jump off a, a friend's vehicle or something. That's all kind of common knowledge. Most people understand that that's a, well... Maybe I'm giving too much credit, but most people understand the basics of jumping off a vehicle, something like that. Mm, so maybe. some problems are easy and some aren't, right? Say that um, we have a situation where a gun will work sporadically. Sometimes it will, sometimes it won't. Maybe we've got one bad mag in the batch and that one bad magazine is giving us a false, uh, a false sense of what could be going on with the gun, like the PTR MP5 that we've got. We've done roll, you know, and we run it full auto a lot with the pack. You know, we've done rollers. We've done a fresh extractor, mm -hmm. extractor spring, recoil, uh, spring. Yeah, recoil yeah. spring. I think we change out the hammer spring. Mm -hmm. I mean, complete set of springs. All right. So we know that's not the issue. Some mags will run really nice. You run a whole mag full auto, no problem. Every now and then, it's like, it's weird. The, the gun won't extract every now and then. Mm -hmm. Or the gun may, uh, the bolt may go all the way to the rear, but then not feed. But it, it, it won't be because the round had some strange, um, let's just say, uh, and I'm getting somewhere. Give me a second. No, you're good. Uh, it's not that the round uh, didn't lift up and then fail to feed. It's like maybe the magazine spring couldn't keep up with the magazine. Mm -hmm. And yesterday we were out doing a video on the new MP5 Magpul furniture just mm -hmm. because we thought it'd be cool to do. And hey, you know, shooting a full auto MP5 is always a great day at the range. And sure enough, both of the stoppages, now that I think about it and I've slept on it, because I don't always draw a conclusion immediately. Sometimes I sleep on mm -hmm. it. Both of the stoppages around didn't eject from the uh, from the gun when I cleared the stoppage. There was no round in the chamber at all, and there was no misfeed. Mm -hmm. So maybe our magazines are to blame, and the gun is actually fine, and maybe the springs on the magazine are worn out and either need to be replaced mm -hmm. or we need to get fresh magazines. Here we were thinking that possibly... It could have been maybe the feed lips gotten bent where it fell on the ground or something. So, see, there's all these things that must occur, right? Um, there are some gun designs that, you know, you have to give them good fresh magazines with good fresh springs in them because the gun operates so fast as a machine gun that if that spring is not up to the task of keeping up, uh, the gun is going to outrun the magazine. And that's why those little Zip 22s were so poorly received. <laughs> with the 10-shot mags, they would work beautifully because the spring tension on them is much more consistent mm -hmm. over a 10-shot rotary 10-22 mag versus a 25-shot mag that may not have the same consistency over the over the entire length of its of its uh, use mm -hmm. from round one to round 25. If you're rapid firing that zip gun, the the throw on the bolt mechanism is so short. That if you're trying to rapid fire it, it may not be able to keep up. And that's why when you convert 1022s into a machine gun, that is why they also tend to not do well in full auto because the guns run so freaking fast that the magazine cannot keep up. So it's not that the Ruger 1022 is not a reliable system. It's just that when you exceed the limitations of what the original design parameters were meant to do, 
then you're asking it to do something it physically can't do, mm. which is why most full-auto open-bolt conversions on the 1022 are so unreliable because they are running so fast that the magazine cannot keep up with the yep. mechanism. Yep. So there's little things like that you have to deduce and kind of use logic and think, okay, why is this happening? Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, we've had we've had squibs in the past, too, okay? And some people will have a, an issue with a squib, and they won't know what's going on, and then they'll chamber a new round behind a squib. If you guys don't know what a squib is, it's a very underpowered round that may have very little powder in it or no powder at all, like, especially with handgun rounds. Um, so you're firing a 9mm handgun, and uh, you have a round that goes kind of like, Puff, piss, you know, whatever makes a funny sound. Well, most people, okay, they'll think, hmm, something's not right. But some folks, they just like, you know, pull the pull the slide back, a case ejects, okay? It didn't have enough power, obviously, to eject the case. And then they chamber a new round, all right? The bullet may have gone that far down the barrel. And that would have allowed a new round to be chambered right behind it. And then what if you have, you have a barrel obstruction? So when you fire that next round, Boom! Okay, the guns blow up and blow up out of your hand. Um, Barry, okay, several years ago, almost had an incident like that. We were out filming, and he was shooting, I believe, his Glock 19, and had a squib. And Eric was like, whoa, 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 whoa! Because he'd racked it, and he was getting ready to fire again. And, uh, you know, stuff like that happens. Um, but you, you've got to be very cognizant of firearms and what's going on with them okay you got to be cognizant of the the report the sound of your rifle the sound of your your rounds going off Uh, okay if something doesn't sound right you got to think hmm okay i need to stop for a second and deduce the situation and see if there's a a barrel obstruction okay i had a squib or something's not right um that's what you know that's what means to be like a gun detective okay um you you have to you have to be self-reliant with your firearms. And you've also yeah. got to keep your head on a swivel too. Oh, yeah. And when you're at the range, let's say you're you're in you know involved with other people on a range, say you're at an indoor range or an outdoor range or anywhere, just any type of public range where there's other people, it's also important and to be cognitive, you know, have the have the situational awareness yes. uh, to be able to go, okay, is this person doing something unsafe? Or did this person have a problem, right? You're loading mags, minding your own business, and you hear a pop fizz next to you. Probably not a bad idea to go, hey, make sure that's not a squib. Or having the situational awareness to go, <clears throat> uh, there's a problem with this gun. And, oh you know, so it's also from a safety aspect important to understand. We're not saying be a jerk to people, mm-hmm. but just have the situational awareness to be able to go, you know, hey, you need to keep that gun pointed down mm-hmm. there. Or, hey, you know, I heard a weird sound. Uh, are you sure we shouldn't maybe, you know, pull the upper apart? Let's look and make sure it's not a barrel obstruction. Those are all just good common sense practices that can keep people from getting hurt. Mm-hmm. Uh, guns are mechanical objects. They can and will fail. There are numerous things that must occur in a very precise manner, using <clears> precise <throat> ammunition, using precise magazines, using proper technique, holding the gun properly. There are many things <laughs> that can cause a firearm to fail in its operational cycle, and we're mainly pre- referring to semi-autos. Mm-hmm. I know, too, I've had squibs before in a blowback 9mm before and uh, actually didn't recognize it happened, all right? And this happened to me a long time ago with a Marlin Camp 9 that I had. Mm. And uh, the the projectile went about this far down the barrel. And, of course, you know, I was only like 17 years old at the time. I didn't know any better. I was still learning. And I thought, oh, whatever. And I chambered another round. 
pow! It made like a really weird sound. Now that I noticed. I'm like, holy crap, what mm -hmm. happened there? Now it didn't hurt the gun. Didn't hurt me. And I looked down, it blew the case out and everything. Didn't hurt the barrel. But that was because as a blowback, nine millimeter, apparently the ammo I was running was low enough pressure. It didn't seem to really cause a major issue. Mm -hmm. Now you may not obtain that type of luxury in a high power rifle round. I mean, mm -hmm. if you have a squib in an AR and you chamber around behind it, kaboom! that gun is going to kaboom. You're yeah. going to blow the barrel up. It's a lot more pressure. Uh, and it's, it's going to jettison the magazine mm. out of the bottom, out of the magazine well. It, it's going to be bad, and you're probably going to be peeling pieces of gun off of you somewhere. So but probably not as much, you know, because ARs are built pretty dang solid. Okay? They are. And I've seen a lot of AR kabooms, and most of the people that had, um, like, 300 blackout and a 5.56... You know, or whatever, or they had squibs, whatever the case is, they usually come out pretty unscathed because right. the receivers contain most of that explosion. Okay? Well, there's a there's a big difference between a blowback just popping a little bit oh, of brass yeah. out of the back and an AR kabooming. Yes. So just understand that when you up that pressure, mm -hmm. uh, that those squibs become even more of an issue. Imagine having a squib in a Barrett M107 or a squib in a in a 300 Norma Mag hunting rifle. Mm -hmm. That gun is going to kaboom. Mm. Okay, so just keep in mind that and I didn't want this to be strictly about that, but mm -hmm. being a gun detective is not only um, you know good for safety purposes, but it's a great way to save money as an individual because you don't want to have to take your gun to a gunsmith for every little stupid thing. So it depends on how far down the rabbit hole uh, you want. I'd like to think that most gun owners should be uh, competent enough with being their own gun detectives to at least pull their firearm apart and clean it and perform simple maintenance. Uh, so that's the equivalent of doing your own oil change. Mm -hmm. yeah, everybody can change their own oil, right? You can rotate your own tires. You can use jumper cables. You can change a tire on the side of the road. You know, you can check your fluids. You can top off your windshield wiper fluids. There's all these little simple <laughs> yes. tasks My that people <laughs> need to be able to do on their own related to vehicles. So yep. uh, guns are the same way, right? When you get into the firearms realm, there's there's a laundry list of things that you need to probably be able to do on your own. And then, of course, if it involves, all right, my... You know, my bolt-action locking lug is only contacted on one side. Okay, well, blueprinting and installing a barrel and bedding and action and everything. Okay, yeah, that might be better suited to a professional or that someone. That requires, like, a machinist. You're not going to just pull your pull your barrel off with a pair of, uh, you know, pipe pipe or a pipe wrench or whatever, you know, and leave some marks on it and then just say, well, that looks about straight, and, you know, I'm just going to take sandpaper. <laughs> right. I'm going to blueprint my own action. Chances are your average car enthusiast is not going to be boring his own cylinder heads in his no. garage. I mean, now, I know hey. some of you do, <laughs> but you know what I mean? There's certain, like, your average car owner doesn't own a brake lathe. Okay? <laughs> Same type of thing. Your your av your average gun owner probably doesn't have a mill and lathe in their garage and can perform tasks like that on their own. So yeah. there does become an issue where, you know, eventually you're going to have to consult the services of a professional. Mm -hmm. So I think that... That uh, brings her home pretty well. In that pretty regard. good. Uh, one more example that I want to mention. This is something that's uh, that's coming to my mind just recently. Um, but I had a buddy of mine that had a, um, a high end Glock, okay, with all kinds of fancy stuff. Oh, in. I know this all one. Right. Fell off of the uh, fell off of the dresser, and then in the holster, loaded. Okay, this is carry gun. Boom! It discharged. You know, it, it was an accidental discharge. Okay, it was not negligent. It wasn't any negligence on his part. The firearm had a failure. Okay, and it's a failure of the safety systems in that Glock. 
Okay. Uh, if you guys aren't aware, most of you watching the video, you know what a Glock is. Okay. It's a safe action pistol. Okay. Uh, it has a plunger that blocks the um, striker mechanism from moving forward. Okay. When the trigger is pulled. Um, or unless the trigger is pulled, I should say. So the plunger stays uh, down and it blocks the striker. Okay. So even if the firearm is dropped, the spring tension on all those parts keeps that plunger in place, okay? And it can handle that inertia and keep the gun from going off, even if it's loaded. The only way that gun's going to go off with the proper springs in it is if that trigger is pulled to the rear and those safety mechanisms disengage and you are ready to fire around at a target, okay? So a lot of people will start tinkering with their guns, okay? You know, talk about being a gun detective. This is a really good example. You want to tinker with your gun. That's fine and dandy. Start changing one part at a time, okay? And it's like, say you, you put a, a big kit in or you, you take all the guts out of your Glock. This is just one example. You take all the guts out of your Glock, you put all these new guts in, like a three and a half pound trigger, a, a new connector, uh, a, a new um, trigger bar, you know, everything. Oh, a new plunger, new spring, all this stuff to lighten it up and make the trigger pull like, you know, you breathe on it, it goes off. Ooh, okay? Like, if you start having problems, okay, go back to square one. Don't just... Get frustrated and and take one piece out, put it back together, and, and then say, okay, it doesn't work. Okay, take this piece out, do this. Follow a follow a procedure. Okay, start back at square one, put all the factory parts back in, and then replace one thing at a time until you determine what the problem was or what combination of parts caused the issue. Too many times I've seen people just get really frustrated and they'll just leave like a bag of parts. Uh, you know, in a like literally, they'll ha they'll have a bin of parts or whatever, and they'll pour it in a bag and hand it to a gunsmith and say, "I'm sick of dealing with this. You fix it." And the gunsmith has no idea where to start. But you can do a lot of that stuff on your own just by by just having a little bit of critical thinking and, and a little bit of know how, technical know how, and just going back to square one, starting from scratch, and then figuring things out in a logical progression. And I think that's one of the biggest things to me is just really taking a step back, breathing, and, and just coming back to something with a fresh mind. I mean, I do that in other aspects of life as well. you got to have a fresh mind to look at these kind sure. of things. So, you know, have a fresh mind to be a gun detective, okay? One more tiny so, aspect anyways. to that. Here's one, Here more, here's one more angle, all right, and what Chad's talking about. Say that the basis that you start off with is nowhere near a real complete gun, right? So say that, <laughs> oh, no. all right, say that you buy a, an 80% lower that you did yourself and you yep. do a, you do a, a, a slide from brand A, a barrel from brand B, yes. a parts kit from brand C, and you've got like just a hodgepodge of different parts and you built your own Gucci Glock. You know, you added a slide rider. You added, a, you, you added, well, I'm just using it because Glock <laughs> is a Honda Civic of oh, guns. I know, I know. It's just funny. And, and, and you added a, you added a, a muzzle brake with a threaded barrel and all this mm. mess and you added all these things and you take the gun out. All right, man, this thing looks sweet. Look at that on Instagram. That's sweet. And then boom, boom, boom. All right, nothing. Something, something's not working. All right, so what is it? Is it the 80% lower? Is it the slide? Is it, is it the barrel? Is it the recoil spring, the fancy recoil spring you put in it? Yep. What is it? Yep. You have no idea because there's no basis to determine uh, what exactly you're even starting with to begin with. Now, I'm not saying that you should only buy a factory gun. What I'm saying is, now, now granted, a lot of times when people assemble these random hodgepodge guns, I mean, think about ARs. People can assemble like parts AR, or ARs out of all kind of random stuff they have laying around. Everyone's got that AR that they put together out of just random crap that they pulled off different guns. Nine times out of ten, it's going to work. Mm -hmm. Okay, and that's the benefit also of the Glock being so reliable that yeah, you can put a bunch of parts together. Chances are probably going to work. Well, there's but standards. it might not. There's standards in the industry. There I are mean, standards, so. but it may not. Yep. 
And the thing is, you've got to, if you're going to play around with these things, you've got to understand that not all parts are created equal and not all parts play together the same. I mean, I've noticed too, I don't want to go off on this tangent because this video is already long, but I'll just mention very quickly like 9mm uppers for 9mm ARs. We did a whole video on this too. There, we did a whole video on it. But they're not all the same, right? Not every lower is compatible with every upper. And, you know, they don't fit right sometimes. Or, you know, this bolt is a different spec. Or it's not cut for this type of magazine. It's a Colt bolt versus a Glock bolt. Mm. All these things that have to be uh, paid attention to in terms of detail to know that when, when you're putting something together, mm. if it's going to work or not. And mm. we've gone down that rabbit hole. We're not going to, you know, mention it in this video. But just know, gun detectives, uh, you can be a gun detective. Joe research, Blow. yeah. Research things. Get some books on on a given gun that you might have, or if you're interested in a particular military surplus rifle, buy some books on it. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, look at blueprints, look at diagrams, uh, watch videos. You know how to take them apart and disassemble them, and all mm -hmm. the inner workings and such. Learn how the firearms that you have operate. Know the ins and outs. Mm -hmm. You know as much as you can, as much as you care to, and you have time for and interest in. Um, sure. But just know that, like, if you don't take an interest in your your firearm. And, and something goes wrong, then you will probably have to solicit the help of a professional, mm -hmm. okay? Because you just were unwilling or unable to do things yourself. Well, also so. know when to do that. Like, it, look, it's completely okay, right? No matter how experienced you are, it is completely okay to go, you know what, this project's over my head. Mm -hmm. And in the name of not messing this up, I think I'm going to take this to someone that I know specializes in this. Hey, okay? Mom, I'm going to take apart my Browning A5. And look... I'll just end the video by saying this, <laughs> that if you shoot guns long enough, you are going to run into all of these types mm -hmm. of issues eventually, right? Oh, yeah. So it's not a matter of if, it is it's a matter of when, right? Things fail. If you drive cars for 50 years, chances are you've had a blowout. Chances are you've had a, a vehicle fail and you're on the side of the road with having mm -hmm. a call for help. So all of these things happen. If you're around guns long enough, eventually something's going to fail and you're going to be in a position similar to what we mentioned in this video. So mm -hmm. keep that in mind. Uh, guys, thank you so much for watching today's video. We hope you enjoyed it. I would definitely like to take a moment to thank all of our Patreon supporters. Thank you so much for supporting our channel. We really appreciate it. Those of you who purchase t-shirts over on Ballistic Inc., uh, thank you so much for supporting your favorite content creators. Mm -hmm. means a lot to us. And uh, also, those of you who purchase man cans, we have got some great man cans that we put together um, with gear, especially for you guys. We know you're going to love it. So thank you so much. Uh, if you see value in what we do and you wish to support us, those are the most direct ways you can do so. Uh, be sure to like, share, comment. Let us know what your weirdest situation was where you were engaged in, uh, in some uh, you know gun sleuthing. Mm -hmm. And uh, maybe we'll share some of your examples in a future video. So thank you very much. Have a great day. We'll see you next time. Many more videos on the way. Take care, guys.